0: Amen. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad to be back with you. I appreciate uh, AJ last week filling in for me while I was not well and um, better this week. So it, it's really, uh, I called AJ on Friday evening and asked him to preach. Um, it, it's really a big deal to ask somebody to preach um, because uh, a day is not a lot of uh, warning, I guess is the right word. So uh, I appreciate him stepping in and, and doing a great job and uh, he did a great job. I listened to his sermon and I appreciate that. Um, it's good to have Keith home. I, um, Keith, uh, did our, is our deacon. He's gone. He's serving away. But when he comes home, he's here and we were going to ask him to be the deacon of the week or ask him to uh, come up and uh, do uh, from, vi- by video, his deacon of week announcements. But, um, uh, He said he'd just show up in person and do them. So we appreciate that. But I appreciate Keith and serving away. It's good that, you know, in the modern technology that we have the ability that you can serve and be a long way away from us. And so he keeps up our Facebook page with AJ and David's help, and they they keep that going. So I I appreciate that. I'm excited about our message today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. And um, I'm going to look at verses 12 through 26. We normally study this passage during Easter. It's an Easter passage, but as we are preaching through the book of John 41st in our series in John, uh, we're going to look at it today. Often with Easter, we're uh, kind of overshadowed by all the other things that go on around Easter. But today, we're going to talk about Christ as he begins to culminate his ministry. If you notice, uh, we're nearly halfway through the book of John And so the rest of the book of John will deal with Jesus in the last week of his life. And there are some profound teaching that all of us need and that we cling to and that we hold to and that we desperately need to understand. But Christ will give us wisdom in these last 12 chapters that we don't find in any other book. So today we're going to talk about worship and we're going to talk about the attitude for worship. And finding our Savior in the middle of worship. And we've had a great opportunity to worship today. I I love our music today. I I could just listen to this all the time. But we have to prepare ourselves for worship. And so we're going to talk about that today. Verse 12. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the palm branches and went out to meet him. And they kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he. Who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it was written. Do not be afraid. Daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. And that they had done these things to him. meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. And the Pharisees said one to another, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now some Greeks were among those who went to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll speak to us through it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I speak a lot of priority in our lives of putting Christ first. I don't do it because I've mastered it. I don't do it because I'm the expert on it. I do it because that is absolutely essential. It is necessary in our worship. You know, so many times we have taught that worship is about the things that we like. It's either too hot or too cold. Uh, it's, yes, yeah, too hot right now. That's right. It's too hot today. For the record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's too hot or too cold. The, the music's too loud or too soft. It's too fast, too, too much this. You know, we kind of make worship about what we like. And we, like, well, the sermon was too long or too short or it was too deep or it was too shallow. Uh, all of those things. But I will tell you, and I want you to understand that our worship is not about us. It's not, it's not about what we like. It's not about our preference. It is about our heart. It's about knowing who God is and coming to Him and saying, God, you are amazing for what you've done. And we can do that corporately. We do that through music. I think, I think music is one of the most wonderful ways to worship. I think, I think the reading of the Word of God is a powerful way to do it. I, th- I think with our great hymns of faith, the old hymns are ways we can just lift up and we can see God in it. I know the first time that I went to the pastors' conference at First Baptist Jacksonville, and their sanctuary seats about ten thousand people. That's a big sanctuary. On well, Sunday morning, they fill it up. It's full, and we sang in uh, the ministerial worship service. We sang "How Great Thou Art." And 10,000 people singing how great thou art. I thought the Lord had come back. I looked up and I said, there can't be a roof on this place. I mean, that worship can do that. But I'll tell you, you can sit before God and have a great moment of worship too. And I hope and pray that you all do that. That you find time in the word. You can't do that on your own. You don't conjure up that out of your mind, but you do it in the word of God and you do it in prayer. And you go to a Psalm like Psalm 118 and you read you read Psalm 118 and you get on your knees and you thank God for what he's done for you. And see, what we see today is we see Jesus come back to Jerusalem and the crowds and the throngs worshipped him. But they didn't really know who he was. And In fact, his disciples had been with him three and a half years. They were the most befuddled of everybody. One day we're going to know who he is. And I I want to give you a glimpse of that. If you come and study with us on Wednesday night to the book of Revelation, you get a glimpse of what that's going to be like. But one day, all the, all the obstructions are moved away and all the barriers of sin are gone. All of our distractions, you don't have, have anywhere else to go. You don't have anywhere to be. You don't, you don't have another, another event on your calendar for all of eternity. You don't have anything to do but to worship Him who saved you and me from eternal death. Boy, what a great song that'll be. And uh, I'm going to share one of those passages with you this morning because they just they just they just move me beyond belief. So my prayer is that through this message and through your worship and through your growth in Christ, that you'll come to know who He is. Because when you know who He is, it's going to profoundly change you. Jesus came back to Jerusalem during the Passover time. John tells us that very important time over two and three quarters million Jews would come to Jerusalem during Passover. They would sacrifice over 700,000 lambs. Can you believe that during the Passover as the Jews were coming in, they were bringing the Passover lambs to the temple, 200,000, 700,000. Can you imagine that? And the Jews would all come to Jerusalem to want to be there, to be the temple, be around the temple, to celebrate what God had done. But yet on this Passover, God's perfect lamb would come into the city of Jerusalem. And that's what this whole account is about. The Bible tells us in verse 12, the next day, so after the meal at, at Bethany, probably on Monday... The large crowd had come to the festival. And when Jesus came, John doesn't make a whole lot about, about getting the donkey as the other gospels do, but, but it says the crowd took palm branches and, and the palm branches which signify a king, which signify honor and respect. And you know, we always do that in our church on Palm Sunday. We bring the little palm branches down. Our children do that. And, and you know, people then would bring these big palm leaves out and they would lay them in front of a king for a kingly procession. Jesus, the first thing I want you to see is Jesus finally um, would allow the crowd to acknowledge him as king. He he let him. he'd always be saying today, it's not my hour, it's not my time. And when everybody get close to him, he kind of disappear. When the crowd would really press in on him and start trying to get him to do something, Jesus would just disappear somewhere. But But here he didn't do that. The crowd pressed in on him and he assembled a parade. He wanted them to see what a king would be like. Hosanna is the word that they say. They, they kept shouting throngs of people. Actually, they said of the two and a half million Jews that came there, there were probably a few thousand people that came to see him. You know, it grieves me that Christ came back to show everybody that he was king. No, nobody was really there. I mean, there was a crowd. There were a few people there, but... But, I mean, most of the people were going about the business of the Passover. Most most were busy with what was happening. But Jesus, he took palm branches and went out to meet them. And they kept shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. It means save now. It, the, the word here in this first passage of verse 13 comes from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. If you go over to Psalm 118 and... Uh, I think that's a pretty remarkable piece of scripture. They didn't quote it ain't exactly. A great worship p- psalm. But listen to what it says. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And from that, the people of Jerusalem praised their king. Scholars tell us that in actuality, uh, D. A. Carson sums it up. He says the crowds don't simply pronounce a blessing in the name of the Lord on the one who comes, but they pronounce a blessing on the one who comes in the name of God. The the next line shows that the way the crowd understands their own words, because blessed is the king of Israel is not in Psalm one eighteen. They're saying that to Jesus. This crowd, for a moment, they got it. Jesus was the king of Israel. They knew that. A few days, they'd forget it. They'd go the way of the Jewish authorities. Roman government, but for a day, they got it. Jesus had found a young donkey. You know, I don't know. That did not sound really kingly to me. I would think if you're going to be a king, you would do like the Romans did. Now, when the Romans took a city and they would take over a country, they would have a victory parade that was amazing. They would march thousands of their captives in front of the commanders to show everybody what they'd conquested. All the slaves and all the animals and all the jewels and all the things. They'd parade them in front. Then would come the chariots and the legions of Roman soldiers. Now that's, to me, that's kind of authority. But I'll tell you, Jesus came into Jerusalem and he came in on a colt. Uh, Zacharias' prophecy in chapter 9 that's where John quoted here. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. Listen to what he said. He is righteous and victorious. He's humble riding on a donkey. That's exactly, you know, Jews said, Jews said Jesus didn't, ref, didn't, didn't fulfill the prophecy. Right there it is. He, he would come humbly on a donkey. Wouldn't look like a king. Wouldn't act like a king. See, the Jews wanted a king to come in and overthrow the Romans. That wasn't the kind of king Jesus was. He he was, he was, he was gonna, he was gonna change the world, but he's not gonna change it the way all those people did. Jesus would do it in his own way. Oh, daughter Zion, that's Jerusalem and Israel. They fully expected Jesus to issue a call to arms and the Roman government fall down, but his kingdom would not be like anything they expected. That's why I told you when we started, you gotta know who he is. You gotta, you gotta read in the word. You can't listen to people, watch TV, go to movies. I, it's amazing how much theology we get from movies. I don't care if they're good movies, it's bad theology. If it's not right out of the word of God, you ought to get your theology from the word of God. And I think I love Christian movies, I like to see them. But don't get your theology from them. Don't read a fictional series about the end of the world and get Your theology on the end times. Read the Bible. The Bible will tell you that. Now, it's fine to read those books, but just be careful. The people in Jerusalem had a misunderstanding about Jesus. Number three, the disciples didn't even understand everything they saw. Verse 16, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, that is when Jesus had been resurrected and and, and ascended into heaven. Then they got it. John writing, he's 80 years old, 60 years probably had passed between this time and John writing this down. He, he understood it. He said, yeah, we didn't get it. We got it later. We didn't get it. When all this stuff started happening, we began to understand what was going on. These guys were slow, but I think I'm slow. I mean, I've, I've been reading some of these things all my life in the Bible and sometimes they still don't take my heart. And and sometimes I have to I have to come back to God and renew my relationship with Him. I have God has to stop me, He has to wake me up in the middle of the night, or He has to maybe get me sick, or maybe He has to get me away, but He has to stop me cold and say, Listen, you you gotta hear this stuff. I'm I'm slow too. And I think I think we have to be careful, yeah. Maybe you're slow. Maybe you've heard all these things all your life and they just haven't taken your heart. The disciples had been with him. They talked with him. They slept with him. ate with him. Three and a half years. They'd seen all the miracles. And then when Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do, the Bible says they didn't understand. Like, where have you guys been? Where have I been? Where have you been? Because the truth of how wonderful he is is hard for us. Jesus would be a king like nobody expected. Instead of defeating his enemies by force, he he would defeat them by dying for them. Isn't that isn't that amazing? That's no king. Nobody ever seen a king do that. He he was he was largely rejected in his first coming to the world. But the Bible tells us the whole world will see a second coming. That that the whole world will be aware. That he comes back. And he won't come back as a little baby in a manger, but he'll come back as a king, as a conqueror. Revelation 19 says he'll come on a white horse, and on his thigh will be tattooed, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. The whole world, the whole universe will know he's the king. Just didn't look like a king to these disciples. The crowd, in verse, in my fourth point, it says the crowd. Um, went after him. They sought after him. There were Greeks in the crowd. It says in verse 20, Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. The Greeks were the intellectual. They were kind of the eggheads of the ancient world. Every, you know, the Greeks were so inquisitive about everything. They wanted to learn about everything. They, if there was something, they wanted to learn about it. That was a Greek thing. That was, that was very Greek. Uh, one theologian wrote, he said, the Greeks were wanderers. They wandered just for the sake of wandering. And one Greek wrote about his fellow countrymen, you Athenians will never rest, nor will you ever let anyone else rest about the things you think about. They sought after the truth. That's what they wanted. They'd heard about Jesus. They... Um, And, and, you know, the, the Greeks would do that. They would go after philosophy after philosophy, but, but these Greek Jews had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so they went up to the disciples and they said this statement, sir, we want to see Jesus. This guy that just came through the parade, we want to see him. And I just mentioned to you, the church at first Baptist Jacksonville and on their pulpit, they have this verse, sir, we want to see Jesus. What a great, what a great call for us. I, I hope that when you come to church on Sunday morning, you say, I want to see Jesus today. I, I hope that you don't care about how hot it is or cold it is. I I hope you don't care about the music, whether it's really wonderful. And it's always wonderful. But the songs you like or songs you don't like. Or the preaching was you like it or you don't like it. But I, I hope more than anything, you want to see Jesus when you come in here. And And you can see him here. You can see him in your quiet time. You can see him when you serve other people. You can you can see him you can see him in the hearts of people that are broken because Jesus said, When you take care of the least of these, you're taking care of me. But I pray that you'll want to see him. Christ came and these Gentiles they all the whole city filled up with Jews, and there were these Greek Jews. They weren't real Jews, they were Gentile Jews, which to the Jews weren't quite up to par. It's amazing the Gospels tell us that when Jesus was born, the wise men came from the East. They were also Gentiles. They were not believers either. And they came. And then when Jesus got ready to die right here in his last week of his life, it was Gentiles that sought after him. You see, his ministry would be for everybody. I'm really glad because, well, we're probably Gentiles, aren't we? We're glad that Christ came for us. He came for everybody. It came for people that look like us and people that don't look like us. Came for people that are our color or not our color. Came from our country. Came from people from every country. It is amazing to see the fellowship of people that Christ came for. His kingdom is for everybody. Number five, Jesus is not the king they expected. So they went and got him. The disciples went and got him. Listen, notice that in verse twenty-two. Said Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip both went and told Jesus. It was like one of them didn't want to go tell him. They both went together and said, Lord, they want to see you. Those Greeks, they're hunting you down. They want you to say something. And then Jesus revealed himself what kind of king he would be. He said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then he teaches us in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. Jesus, of course, was talking about the nature of his death. But he's also talking about the nature of his kingdom Because his kingdom, by earthly standards, wouldn't look like a whole lot in A.D. 32. But one day, it would grow into something great. One day it would. We're going to learn later on in John. John's going to, I mean, Jesus is going to look to his disciples and he said, guys, you know what? When I'm gone, you're going to do greater things than you've seen here when I'm gone. I've really always struggled over that passage of scripture. I I mean, Jesus told him that. He said, you're going to do greater things than I did. And I thought, what in the world can we do greater than Jesus? And look at the reach of the gospel since those disciples died. You know, when Jesus left the world, there was a band of followers, maybe five or 600 believers. And within a few years, when the Holy Spirit came on the church, the gospel had gone to two or three million people in the world. And then within 50 years, most of the Western world had heard about Christ. Millions of people have been converted. Look today. Look how big it is. Look how how far it's come. Starts out as a seed. I don't know a lot about planting. You all know that. But if you hold a kernel of wheat, you can't see what's inside of it. Inside of it is literally millions of offspring. But the wheat has to go in the ground. And when it goes in the ground, it reproduces. And Jesus said this ministry... He said, my earthly body is going to die, and then it's going to get so big you can't imagine the size of his kingdom. It can't. And, and, but by death, it produces a larger a larger crop uh, it, that dies. It comes out of its encasement. It becomes a resurrection plant, and many grains are resurrected. And Jesus is saying he's going to fulfill his earthly ministry by dying. And then he talks to believers. He talks to us. He says, the one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he's not saying that you gotta hate your life. He's not saying that. But, but he's saying that we can't value ourselves more than we need to. You see, we gotta, we gotta be willing to give up our life. We gotta be willing to give up the things that we like. We we gotta be willing to give up our own will. You you can't you can't come and worship God and be the same way. You know, one of the hardest things that I found in my life in submitting to ministry, when God called me to ministry, and I've only begun to understand this in years later, is that, that I wanted to have it all the ways that I wanted. I mean I wanted to do all these things, but God just one way. You just gotta do it his way. You can't say, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a follower, but I'm going to keep all this other stuff that I'm doing. I'm going to keep the, the things in my life that I know are disobedient to God. I'm going to keep doing them, and he won't he won't matter. He, it does matter. Jesus says you've got to give up yourself a little bit. We have a discipleship group, AJ and I meet every week. One of the things that really stunned me this week, when we read Mark chapter 8, Verses 34 and 35, I don't know if you can recall it right off but it's, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up his cross and follow me. You know, uh, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life because of me will save it. You know, I've heard that take up your cross, and we all hear that, and Jesus is not talking about the cross that we have as a Christian, the cross of difficulty we have in our life because of illness or death. He's not talking about that. Jesus says in order to follow him, we have to take, put down the things that we want. We have to pick up a cross and follow him. You know what? When you take up a cross in the first century, that meant, and, and I'd never heard this, A.G., I'd never understood it this way. I've talked about it. When you picked up, when the when the condemned prisoner picked up the beam of his cross, he was saying, My life is done. I have no future. I don't have any more plans. I mean, he won't see sunset. Everything is over. My life is finished. I'm a dead man that's still walking. So Jesus says, Take up his cross. He's saying You've got to set down your personal desires. And so when I hear that in the light of worship, and I think, well, you know, we want to worship God. The first thing we have to do is we have to set aside the things that are important to us and focus on the things that are important to him. We've got, we got to find what God wants us to do. What does that mean for us? Some, sometimes that means we give up things. Sometimes that requires sacrifice on our part. And then he says, he says, we have to lose your life for my sake. We have to invest everything that we have for him. Maybe it's all of our talent. Maybe, maybe it's our money. Maybe it's our brains. Maybe it's our hands and our feet. Paul, Paul got this. And over in Philippians, he wrote, he says, for everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be a loss because of Christ. I've pondered and prayed over this verse a lot. And God started showing me all the things in my life that I consider more important than Christ. I think we have to sort through those things bit by bit. And we got to we gotta say to him, I'll give it up for you, whatever you want. And Paul writes, more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Because, Paul said, in him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them to be dung. Paul said, the things of value in my life are of no value. Because of Christ. I think once we glimpse who he is. We're willing to do that. And we only can do that. In our time before God. Take up your cross. And follow him. It's not always easy. It's not always. But you know that's kind of the way Jesus is in Paradox. Paradox. He tells us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, and he tells us that, therefore, we don't give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Because of your relationship with Christ, you would think as you get older and you get more frail and you get, you get closer to the grave and more of your friends and your loved ones pass away, you'd think you'd be more discouraged or more beaten, but actually, you have more hope. Because as the tent on earth here is collapsing, we know we have an eternal home that's built in heaven. For our momentary light affliction, Paul writes, is producing an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. For we focus on, we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what's unseen. That's so important for us. Have some perspective. Perspective. Don't look at the situation in front of us, but we look at what Christ, once we know who Christ is, we can look, we can look and know that we don't have to look at what is seen that doesn't look good, but we can focus on what's unseen that we have ahead. You know, it's amazing how many times in my life I've said, I don't really have time for God. (laughs) I don't really have time to do that. Oh, I would, I would go on that mission trip if I had this. Or I would, I would really give my life to Christ if this happened. And the reason that I could say that is because I don't fully know who he is. I don't fully grasp his power. How much he loves me. Over in Revelation. We've been there. You know, uh, when we all go to heaven, that's what we're going to do around the throne of God is we're going to worship. I hope you like to worship. Learn to worship here. Because that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it without ceasing because we're going to know exactly who he is. We're going to see him as he is. There won't be any blinders. There won't be any sin. There won't be anything to stop us over in revelation chapter seven. We get a picture and it's just like a picture. John writes to us from the throne room of God. And it said, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation. That's us tribe, people, language, which no one could number standing before the throne. I thought, well, if they're Southern Baptists, they're going to want to sit down pretty soon. They don't want to stand up too long. They were not only standing before the throne, but they're standing before the lamb. The lamb who died for him. Listen to this. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. You know, we Southern Baptists, we're kind of reserved. But when we get to heaven, we're going to know who Jesus is. And we're going to stand before the throne and cry out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders, that's the church. And all the four living creatures, that's the angels that are going to judge the earth. And they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and forever. That's worship. That's when we know who he is. That's my prayer for you today. That you'll know who he is. That you'll sit before him. That you'll learn from him from his word. That you'll learn from him in prayer. That you'll lean on him in times of difficulty. That you'll take his promises that are real and concrete. And you know, one of the things I hear as a pastor a lot is, well, you know, Pastor Jim, I've read that, but I just don't feel it. And, and let, me, let me tell you how I think the Bible wants us to deal with that. You're not going to feel it. You're just going to have to believe it. You're going to have to take God's promise and say, it's his promise. I trust God at this. I'm going I'm to take it. I'm going to believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to count on it. I'm going to look for it. That's God's promise. But my prayer is that you come to know who Christ is and worship him. Follow your face before him. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for your word. I pray you'll speak to us today through it as imperfectly as it's been explained. But God, your spirit is powerful and goes beyond all of our shortcomings. You know the needs of each of us. You know the burdens that people bear here today. You know the crosses that are involved in everyone's life. You know the sacrifices that people have made. And Lord, you know the ones that we need to make. So I pray you'll work powerfully among us move us closer to you, to love you and honor you and worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.